And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Sharon Pierce, CEO and President of The Villages. We are seeing an unprecedented need for caring adults, adults of faith, who have a faith community around them to support them in this world. And we know that um, not everyone is called to be a foster parent. But if you know a foster or adoptive parent saying, you know, I'll help you one evening a week, or let me take the kids to church so that you two can go to the grocery after the service is over, are ways that we can sustain that single family for each child that we're privileged to serve and grow the faith community around these children so that they see they are a person of value, not only in God's eyes, but in, you know, our worldly eyes. Bottom line, Faith, we are back on the air. My name is Adam Ritz, one of your co-hosts, along with Ray Hilbert. Ray, I thought we'd start uh, today by uh, reintroducing ourselves to the audience. Yes. Is that uh, okay with you? Absolutely. So uh, we are really excited about this uh, program at Bottom Line Faith, where Adam, this really is, as we describe, a place where we like to, the, the analogy we use is where we like to lift the hood and tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership to see how these high-capacity, uh, wonderful Christian leaders, how they think, how they live, how they make decisions, experiences, and lessons learned. And uh, it's really a lot of fun to get to do what we get to do, an incredible variety of guests that we've had in in our episodes. The fantastic part for me, uh, and I've said this before, is that... Uh, you know, and you book, you're the, the talent agent, if you will. You book the guests on the show. Uh, I sort of just appear and co-host with you, and I never know who's going to be on the show. And today I had a chance to speak with our guest, and I'm really excited for the things that are happening in the building that we are in right now. It's very exciting. It really is. And our guest today is Sharon Pierce, and she is the president and CEO of The Villages. And we're going to learn all about uh, not only Sharon, but the ministry here at The Villages. Uh, we're in downtown Indianapolis, and so we've uh, been doing episodes all across the country. So it's kind of fun to be back on home turf for, for this episode. And this is going to be a great conversation because we talk with business leaders, we've talked with athletes and celebrities, and everybody's making a difference in the world in their own unique way. And we're learning that in our program here at Bottom Line Faith. But this is going to be special because we are going to get to the core of some societal issues, some things that absolutely are affecting our culture, the well-being of our country, and we're going to really take a look at how one particular organization is making a huge difference in the lives of families and future leaders. Sharon, can you tell us uh, a little bit about The Villages? I would love to. Um, I'm Sharon Pierce. I'm the CEO of The Villages of Indiana, and we are actually a statewide organization. So we could have met in Indianapolis or Gary or Kokomo or Evansville or Bloomington. We have 20 offices throughout the uh, state. But we talk often about the fact that we champion families for children at The Villages. We believe strongly that children grow and flourish and develop and really reach their full potential best when they are raised and nurtured by a loving family. And we know that's not as common as we would like it to be uh, in our communities throughout Indiana today. And so the Villages has a huge job right now. Um, We have to stand in the gap for those children who don't have the family. Perhaps it's at this point in time, perhaps it's never, who can be there for them. So we try to make sure that uh, every child has that dedicated adult who wants more than anything for that child to reach their full potential. So you're working with families um, and their children, uh, single parents, 
uh, maybe a grandparent raising the child, and you're also working with um, children that don't have parents. Absolutely. We're probably best known for foster care, adoption, and family services at the villages. We have a full array of services, but right now, because of the opioid crisis in our state and really throughout the nation, um, we have seen an unprecedented number of children in need of an alternative family. Their own biological family, their family of origin is just not equipped uh, to keep them safe, to nurture them, to love them, to meet their needs. And so so um, I say often these days that we're on a treadmill at the villages recruiting and screening and training and supporting foster or adoptive families, again, to stand in the gap for those children whose families um, have sadly uh, gone the way of an addiction uh, to a substance. We know that's an illness and we aren't a finger-pointing organization, but our concern is how can we create a childhood like every child disease, like every child that um, we have in our life uh, deserves and and what we want for them. So um, and that's really our core focus right now is making sure that we can meet the needs of these children who are unable to stay within their own family. So I'm just curious, and we'll get to the faith-related questions uh, very quickly with, with Ray, but just you mentioned the, the drug crisis, heroin overdoses affecting so many families. Does that affect how you... Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you have, um, are, are you diving into the world of, of addiction and count, addiction drug counseling in addition to what you do with kids and families? We have to in terms of making sure that our staff and our foster families, our clinical directors, those folks who are working directly with these children and their families know what are the signs, you know, when is a child at risk, and how can we best help? Right now, 50% of the children coming into Indiana's child welfare system are five years old or under. Those are very, very young children. Um, 20% of newborns in Indiana are being born addicted to some kind of drug, which is just a phenomenal statistic in my mind. It is. So you're right, Adam. We have to know what that drug culture is doing to families and how we can best intervene uh, and what kind of hope there is for those who are addicted to a substance like heroin, cocaine, or an opioid uh, to be able to fully recover. Our juvenile judges are saying that they're concerned that only about one in three of these children will ever be able to to go back to their own family of origin, which means that more than ever before, the villages is not only going to need foster families, we're going to be desperately looking for forever families, as we call them, adoptive families. And one of the things that we're so proud about at the villages that, uh, and I, I know this would bless the Lord, is that nine out of 10 children that the villages serves in foster care are in only one family. And that's not what you read about in the paper or you hear about in the news. You hear about a child that's in five, eight, 15 foster homes, but we are focused on identifying the best possible match for both the child and the foster family, ethnically, geographically, spiritually, emotionally, so that the trauma that each of these children are experiencing and being separated from everything they've ever known, uh, their own family, is minimized by the fact that, oh, Ray's family looks like my family does. You know, they live right outside the city. The, the school is my home 
homeschool. So um, there are so many dynamics uh, that we try to pay attention to so that we can really build bench strength, if you will, just like a good team. If you don't have an alternate you know, guard or point guard, um, you don't win many games. We need to have about six families for every one foster child so that we're making the right match for them so that if indeed they need a forever family, hopefully that foster family, that one foster family that they were with is the family that they'll be spending the rest of their life with. And that then begins to minimize the trauma and the pain and the crises that they experienced when they were separated from everything they know. Great organization, great great cause. And the website is villageskids.org, villageskids.org, if you'd like to learn more or even donate. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Great opening. Uh, thank you, Adam, for uh, kind of setting the tone for our uh, uh, interview today. And Sharon, um, we're going to learn more about your leadership and your pathway to uh, your leadership here at the Villages. But Give us a little bit of your personal background, kind of where where'd you grow up and how'd you end up here? You know, I kind of grew up a consummate mom, if you will. I'm uh, the only girl in my family, the oldest of four children. I had twin brothers that were a year and a half younger than I am and a, a younger brother who was six years younger than they were. So, um, and my mother died at a very young age of cancer. My father was diagnosed a month later with cancer. And so I, I think I just was called um, to provide the nurturing heart that God had given me for my own family. And that really paved the way for my work with the villages, my work in child welfare for, you know, 35 or 40 years. I I start to lose count. (laughs) But, you know, I was blessed to be born into a family of faith. And so I, the older I get, the more I thank the Lord for that foundation of, of a strong faith and the value of family. And so many of the children that we work with at the villages never had the foundation of a mom, even for 47 years. You know, my mom lived to, to 47. So I just, I try to every day have that attitude of gratitude for what God blessed me with as I felt called <laughs> every day <laughs> to this important work. That's 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 amazing background. And so, did you grow up in the Midwest? Uh, I'm a Hoosier. Uh, yep, born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Lutheran yeah. Hospital, which has uh, been sorry. rebuilt. But <laughs> and um, yeah, have have li- we lived in, in Illinois for a few years? And we joke about my husband following the soybeans. <laughs> he was with uh, Central Soy and a company called A East Daily. But yeah. those soybeans brought us back to Indiana, and I was privileged to serve as the director of child welfare uh, for the state of Indiana before coming to the villages and have been here as the CEO for about 25 years. So kind of a, a, a long, rich history, but then that blessing of a wonderful personal life, a very supportive husband. Uh, we have four children ourselves. They're all married, and we love those seven grandchildren <laughs> under seven. We we call it joyful confusion when we're all together. <laughs> but, um, you know, I love the fact that my grandchildren get to know about the work that I do, and they love adopting a child in foster care at Christmas. And that sense of compassion is one of the things that I've just loved um, bringing to my own family and, and my friends, my small group, um, through the work here at the Villages. So I, I think we're called, you know, as leaders to make sure uh, that the values that God has planted in organizations like the Villages are dispersed as broadly as possible. Well, thank you very much for that background. And so this is Ray Hilbert along with our co-host, Adam Ritz. We are on the Bottom Line Faith Program. We are interviewing Sharon Pierce, the president and CEO of The Villages in Indianapolis, Indiana. 
Where did the name The Villages come from? You know, we were actually um, a spinoff of an organization in Kansas called The Villages that was founded by Dr. Carl Menninger. And many folks know Dr. Carl Menninger because of his uh, concern around substance abuse and the Menninger Clinic that's in Kansas. But he also had um, a very uh, vital concern about children growing up in the 60s and 70s who were abused or neglected and felt like, gee, these children are coming from a family where violence is prevalent and they're being placed in an institution, how are they ever going to know what it's like to truly be a part of a family? And so he developed uh, an agency called the Villages of Kansas and what were called family model group homes, group homes that had married couples as the house parents, and then, you know, really functioned as a family unit where children could have responsibilities within the home, where there would be vacations, um, extracurricular activities, the kinds of things that all of us as a parent want to provide for our children. Lily and Dominic got really excited about that concept and did a site visit to the villages of Kansas and thought, you know what? We'd like to see this concept grow in Indiana. So um, the villages of Indiana's first seed dollars literally came from our friends, you know, in Indiana. What would we do without Eli Lilly and the Lilly Endowment? And uh, we started initially with a network of 10 family model group homes and now have really, it's kind of an interesting case history have um, redefined ourselves because when you have a group home that doubles the cost per day of services, when you think of the cost that any of us have in home ownership, insurance, you know, maintenance, um, those kinds of things. And um, many of the division of family and children at that time, the precursor to Department of Child Services in Indiana, leaders were saying, could you replicate what you're doing in your family model group homes in specialized foster families? And so that was really the bridge to the village's growth in foster care. And today we have over 300 licensed, caring, dedicated, heroic, in my mind, foster families throughout Indiana. So that that allows the children who need that, you know, additional family or that alternative family to not have to leave their own school district. If you've only got 10 sites, you know, somebody has to travel to get to one of those group right, homes. right. So. It's exciting. I mean, that's what a needed needed model. It takes a village, Ray. It, it takes, does. how yeah. many times is that said? Yeah, it, 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 it may be an old adage, but you know, the villages can't do it. Our staff can't do it without our foster families. Yeah. Our foster families and staff can't do it without community partners like Lilly Endowment or Old National Bank or, you know, community partners that invest in us. Um, we just had a delivery today of 300 tote bags filled with brand new books from the Girl Scouts. And they wanted to adopt the villages and make sure, as we want to make sure, that education is a vital part of the children that we serve's lives because we believe that's the bridge, that's the ticket to escaping poverty and breaking the cycle of child abuse. You know, I always say school is a child's life work, and if I don't feel good at school, it doesn't matter what kind of home I'm coming to. But if we can help excite our children about the opportunities that learning provides and just the escape that a good book provides, we all know about that. So it really does take a village, Adam. You're exactly right. When I pulled up today, there was a truck unloading uh, some gear and equipment and supplies. So you mentioned that the Girl Scouts have dropped off tote bags and stuff. I'm just curious, what's the crazy? When you've shown up to work one day and there's a truck out front, what's the craziest thing they've been unloading? <laughs> to provide <laughs> rocking chairs. Uh, we rocking had a truck that was unloading about um, 20 rocking chairs. And there was an adult, a woman who felt like 
her vision of being a grandmother was rocking in the rocking chair, reading a book, one of those books maybe that the Girl Scouts provided. And so I was just so shocked. She had rented, uh, you know, uh, a U-Haul truck and, and we were unloading rocking chairs. So then we, again, had some artists who were willing to decorate those chairs. And so those are now in the homes of foster families and uh, kinship care families, those grandparents that are providing that critical role of raising their grandchildren if the parents are incarcerated or involved with drugs or alcohol. So, but but that was the shocker. Where, you know, this isn't a furniture store. <laughs> and yet there was a very clear vision that this donor had about wanting to provide for the village's children the kind of memories that she felt her children and grandchildren had, so. which right. I loved it. It, it, so. it was personal, absolutely. You sit, you rock. Yes, you contemplate. Yes, you, you slow down, you slow mm-hmm. the pace. You know, what is it? The Lord used to say, you know, don't, don't worry. And I always heard worry like a rocking chair. It doesn't go anywhere, but rocking chairs are for good purposes as well. <laughs> uh, that's that's a tremendous example. So let, let's talk, uh, we'll, we'll get to a story or two in a few moments about uh, some real case scenarios, right, of the work here at the villages, but I really want to kind of unpack some of the lessons learned that you have gleaned um, in your leadership um, over the years. So would you, would you just share a little bit about what's the hardest lesson you've learned as a leader, particularly as a leader that's trying to live out her faith on a daily basis. You know, I think the hardest lesson, and it's probably true for any nonprofit leader, is the resources available never match the need that exists. And so that is heart-wrenching. You know, if anything were going to keep me awake at night, it is those children that we can't reach because we haven't licensed those 10 additional foster families yet, or those staff that are working so hard that I haven't been able to provide the kind of salary increase they deserve because there's just not the resources source there. And so I do think that that is an ongoing challenge. But, you know, I I had a mentor many, many years ago when I was director of child welfare, actually, who said, Sharon, more than anything, you need to learn uh, to sort out what you can control from what you can't control. So I may not always be able to control what that resource pool looks like. And certainly I spend a lot of midnight (laughs) oil on grant writing, I assure you. Uh, But um, I can control what kind of an environment we have for our staff, what kind of respect we treat one another with, how we honor our foster and adoptive and kinship care parents. And so that was such a powerful lesson to me. And and it doesn't sound like rocket science, but it's harder than one would think, because I think particularly when God gives us a heart for a mission like the village's mission, you want to do it all. And, and yet I'm minimizing what I can accomplish if I'm focusing on things that I really can't impact just now, at least. Maybe later. <laughs> you know, I always, I'm. my husband always jokes that the reason we're married is because I don't know how to say no. And that's not really <laughs> true. He's a wonderful guy. But but it is hard to say no in this work because you want to, every intern that calls, you want to open the doors for them. I want to know that folks are going to come behind all of us and our staff in the future and care about these children and their families in the same way that we do. Uh, and yet that's not doing the mission of favor if we're over-promising and under-delivering. I, I love to, uh, you know, under-promise and over-deliver. <laughs> well, one of the things, that's that's a really great um, process that you've laid out there and a thought, you know, principle, because, um, you know, we, we have a lot of business owners and presidents and CEOs that also listen to our program. 
And uh, while you've shared that in the context of an exec, you know, the, a leader in a nonprofit environment, it really is true in the for-profit world too. Because what business owner doesn't want to grow their company to a certain degree and hire people, but they also always have to manage limited resources. So I love what you had to say about focusing on what you can control and being a good steward over the resources whether it's, in your case, clients and families. In a business, it's customers and vendors and employees. So I think that's a really great takeaway, at least for me. <laughs> so that's really good. So that's a hard lesson to learn, but it's one you've uh, learned to live with, it sounds like, and learned to uh, to deal with. On a kind of a kindred note, uh, what's the biggest mistake you can recall ever making as a leader? I do think it was over-promising um, some deliveries in terms of what we could accomplish for children and families and then having to scale that down. And so that was, and it was before that wonderful mentor, you know, shared yeah, this yeah. with me. Um, but I think that that is a hard lesson to learn. And again, you have the heart for wanting to see that everything is accomplished. But what I found was... Um, maybe we got to everything on that important list, but everything wasn't done at the level of quality that we all at the villages feel is so important. So uh, that was really an initiative and, and a synergy for us to build in kind of that performance quality improvement process that's so critical to any organization, for-profit or not-for-profit, and looking at, you know, when we have situations that aren't as impactful as we would like them to be, what can we do the next time around or next quarter? Order to prevent um, this so that we have even better outcomes. Our our results for children are really pretty amazing. Uh, the fact that, again, one uh, every child at the villages, nine out of 10, are in only one family. Um, one of the other groups that's really um, a critical population for us are those young people who are aging out of foster care. And these young people are 17, 18 years of age. They were never able to be reunified with their family of origin. They weren't adopted by a forever family. And so they are a family of one, and they desperately need dedicated adults like we have at the villages to invest in them. Um, but nationally, only 1% to 3% of those young people go on to college. And we've got, a, or any kind of post-secondary experience, and the villages on any given day will have around 70% who are involved in some kind of post-secondary uh, training, and many of them in college. But I feel like it needs to be 100%, and I know our board of directors does as well, because because, again, that is their opportunity to break the cycle of poverty and be able to be self-sufficient and fully support their family, their future family. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we're very outcome-driven, and sometimes I think that comes from making mistakes. It's like parenting. It's a lot like parenting. You know, we, we I've learned, I always say being the parent of four kids is the hardest job on my resume. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and so I think whenever you're in nonprofit work, it, um, you know, how do you you use this mistake uh, to learn and strengthen the mission of the villages in the future. Yeah, as a as a father of three teenagers, um, I've got two things that uh, that I'm learning about that. Is one, it keeps me alert, and it definitely improves my prayer life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Humble. I always say, being a parent keeps me humble. Well, folks, believe it or not, we're 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 moving rapidly to the tail end of our time here with Sharon Pierce. She is the president and CEO at the Villages of Indiana here in downtown Indianapolis. Their website. We'd love to encourage you check out this incredible work. It's Villages kids.org. So Sharon, the last question that we like to ask 
every guest on Bottom Line Faith is what we call the 423 question, right out of Proverbs, that basically says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. There are biblical scholars um, that uh, some believe those are among the last words that Solomon penned, possibly even from his deathbed. And so the analogy or the picture we paint is, here's the wisest man ever, wrote wrote Proverbs uh, and uh, rich, wise person, and he's gathered his family, friends, and loved ones around, and he's at the end of his time here on earth, And he says, I know I've given you wisdom. I know I've given you all this to live by. Now, above all else, guard your heart. So, Sharon, at the end of your time, if you had a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those that you have mentored over the years, what would be your above all else advice? You know, I would say, above all else, seek to find your unique calling and then invest your heart and soul in it. And for, I'm very blessed that it's my vocation as well as my avocation. But some folks have a vocation that's very different than that calling of the Lord, but they can be a Don and Mary Canoy and become a foster parent, or they can support Don and Mary and say, you know, on Tuesday nights, we'll watch Little Sammy so the two of you can go out and just connect or go be a part of your church small group in the way you thought you might be when you were approaching your 70s. And so I think each of us seeking our unique calling is what creates a caring community, the kind of community that the Lord envisioned in the Great Commission um, for each of us, and especially for these very vulnerable children. That's about as good as anything I've heard. Well, I was, Ray, going to go home and take a nap. Um, <laughs> but after meeting Sharon and hearing all of her work and works, I, uh, I'm going to get more involved, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. In fact, I'm so I, was, glad I, met you. I was thinking something v- very similar that, you know, uh, each Bottom Line Faith program is different, right? You mm-hmm. know, whether we're interviewing CEOs, presidents, business owners, athletes, the things that we talked about earlier— and each one has a unique flavor, and I believe each one has a unique purpose. Sharon was just talking to us about calling and purpose, and I believe it's quite possible that if you're listening to this episode of Bottom Line Faith, that some of you have been wrestling with, what would God have me do? What difference would God have me and my spouse or my family invest in? What would that be? Some of you perhaps have been praying about fostering a young child or adopting or a number of other things. But uh, really take this time and contemplate. That would be my encouragement. Contemplate that prompting that you're feeling right now and follow through on it. And one place that I would encourage you to follow through is go to the Villages website at villageskids.org and pray and see if that might not be something that God might have you involve yourself with. Would you agree with that, Sharon? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ray, because that really is our call to action right now. We are seeing an unprecedented need for caring adults, adults of faith, who have a faith community around them to support them in this world. And we know that Um, not everyone is called to be a foster parent. But if you know a foster or adoptive parent saying, you know, I'll help you one evening a week, or let me take the kids to church so that you two can go to the grocery after the service is over, are ways that we can sustain that single family for each child that we're privileged to serve and grow the faith community around these children so that they see they are a person of value, not only in God's eyes, but in, you know, our worldly eyes. Well, Adam, once again, God has shown up amazingly on Bottom Line Faith. Well, folks, 
This is Ray Hilbert, your co-host, Adam Ritz, uh, just thanking you for listening to Bottom Line Faith. You can check us out where on the web and on t- social media, Adam. It is bottomlinefaith.org. And all of the uh, social media accounts are connected through there. Uh, we do a lot of Facebooking through the Truth at Work Facebook page. But you can find all of it, including past shows, at bottomlinefaith.org. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening in, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Bottom Line Faith. Bottom Line Faith is a production of Truth at Work. If you'd like to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of new episodes, just enter your email address on our website, bottomlinefaith.org. Download and subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you can download and listen to every Bottom Line Faith episode at bottomlinefaith.org.